0: Welcome, Haley, to the Shadow Playground. And we're here today, both of us. And we also have a special guest who was born two and a half weeks ago. Is that correct?
1: Three and a half weeks ago. Three yeah. and a half
0: weeks ago. My gosh. Yeah. So, three people on the call. Is yeah. Bennett correct? Yes. Welcome, Bennett. Welcome, Haley. Happy Thank to be speaking with both of you. I think this must be the youngest podcast guest, um, if not in all history, but anyways, this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So you hear any any delightful little baby sounds, this is Bennett, who is contributing thoughts and feelings to the conversation. So I know that, Haley, you are mom to three boys. Yes. And I'm curious, as a first starting question, what are some of your favorite ways that you've enjoyed playing with your children?
1: I think that to love playing with your children, you have to know what their interests are, but you also have to know what your interests are. Um, because... there are things that I don't like to play and there are things that I very much like to play. And so I find when those things line up and I love doing just as much as they love doing, that's kind of where the magic happens. So finding activities that you both sort of enjoy uh, is key.
0: And what have been some of those activities for you where you find that special alignment between your interests and their interests?
1: Yeah, I think for me, a couple things come to mind. So I've always I've always been a big baker. And so my middle son really loves to bake as well. So finding those opportunities to bake together um, is so much fun. And it also is a lesson for me in being okay with the mess and, you know, the learning along the way. Um, And then one of the other things that comes to mind is Lego, because as a as a kid growing up particularly as a millennial growing up um i have two older sisters and so it was all about like the hand me down toys um which was barbies and dolls and that kind of thing i never really got to play with lego um mm-hmm. so when my son who just recently turned 4 um sort of uncovered the world of those lego kits that you can put together with the instruction manuals we could do that together all day
0: (laughs) and it's so fun that you can loop back to things that you didn't necessarily get to play as an adult or as a child rather and as an adult begin to explore them yeah nice you know some people when they go into a room with a child kind of go into a sort of freeze awkward like uh i don't know what to do what is this thing how do i (laughs) you know what would you say are some of the fundamentals for creating a you know playful moments playful relationship with a child
1: yeah I think that that's totally the case especially when you're not around kids a lot or like young kids who are changing so quickly it can be really awkward and so meeting kids where they're at and and really focusing on what their interests are can make it a lot less awkward and like kids just want you to play with them like they don't care if you say the right thing um or do the right thing they just want you to connect with them on their level so um i think always coming back to play and sort of avoiding those serious awkward conversations um that they really don't care to have with you they just want to play they just want to know that like you can get down to their level and um Do what they want you to do with them.
0: Hmm. That must must be an entire skill set, you know, getting, you know, getting rid of all the conversations or adult type things that you're like, oh, this is how people connect. Getting rid of it or putting to the side for a second and connecting to the child. What do they want you to do? What are their needs? What are their interests?
1: Yeah. Yeah, And I think... um... Yeah, that's totally, that's totally the case, right? Like when we're in in social situations, we're trying to make small talk and we're trying to maybe find common interests or, you know, talk about the weather, mundane things like that, just to sort of fill the space. Um, And kids don't need that. They don't need you to fill the space with with conversation that they don't care to have with you, right? Um, They're brutally honest in that sense. Uh, mm. They just—they just want—they just, want, just want you to be interested in what they're doing.
0: Mm. There's a real sense of empathy of of really tuning into their world. Do you have any sort of prompts or things that you can say or do when you're first interacting with a child to immediately bring you into a different non-adult zone?
1: Um, I think sort oh. of looking around and seeing what they like. You can, you know, you can gather a lot of information just from observation. So if if you're in their space and you see that they have a lot of a toy or, you know, um, you can start there. Uh, you can also see a lot from, you know, maybe the clothes that they wear. If they've got, you know, uh, animated character on their shirt or dinosaurs on their shirt, then that's a pretty good gateway into, into their world.
0: Nice. It's yeah. almost like getting like a detective. You need to kind of pretty quickly tune in. Okay, what are they wearing? What's in their room? What are they talking about? And use that as a gateway to connection with them. Absolutely. Nice. And do you have any sentences or things that would just be an immediate disconnect with a child? Like things that you should not say? <laughs> You know, sentences says that you should not say things you should not do when you're first <laughs> that first little moment.
1: Um, anything that you shouldn't say. Well, I think that's a good question. You're
0: know, like, what? What do, you do, what do you want to What do What do you want to do when you grow up?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> yeah, like how was your day? Or like, you know, really, kids like really concrete, specific. Um words and questions so if you can avoid vague questions like that like how's your day going or what are you doing today or what have you done um kids don't like those questions they don't like answering those questions um whereas if you say something like oh i see you have you know a dinosaur on your shirt tell me about tell me about that dinosaur you know and if you tap into those interests the kid you know will really um open up and it'll be hard sometimes to get them to stop talking
0: <laughs> that's exciting and I, and I really like these these are very typical adult questions how are you doing how's your day what are you up to this week and how this these questions might just be met with a blank stare like this is not my world not totally. this is not how I'm, I'm interacting you talk a lot about or uh, i saw in your on uh, your accounts you speak about uh, play schemas So would you be able to explain what a play schema is and also how we might be able to use them to support a healthy relationship with a child?
1: Yeah. So play schemas are schemas are basically um, how our kids make sense of the world through repeated behaviors. Um, So when we talk about play schemas, they are repeated behaviors that are associated with play. Um, Oh, excuse me, Bennett. And so there are certain ones um, that you can sort of observe your child for and then find activities or things to really um, encourage or foster that play schema. So, for example, my son, who is four, um, really loves the... Um, The transforming schema is one that we call it so he really likes water play. Um, He likes uh, mixing things together, he loves pouring water from one container to the next and and you know really seeing how different mediums can change um trajectory schemas are really common and they can be really irritating to parents they're when you see those they're common things like maybe throwing things that kids shouldn't be throwing um like food from a high chair or you know yeah or um you know dropping food on the ground for their dog to see what happens um and and sort of the things that are going on in your kid's head when they're doing this is You know, what's going to happen when I do this? Um, What if I do it again and again and again? Is something going to be different this time? Um, You know, what if I throw it a little bit harder? Is it going to go a little bit farther? This is how our kids learn. Um, And then, you know, as we get older, as adults, we know that when we do certain things in a certain way, we can sort of expect a certain result. Um, and how do we get that? From our lived experience, from, you know, being able to try these things over and over and over again. Um, so, yeah, it's observing your child. It's seeing what they like to do. Um, what what do you what activity or skill or task are they working on all the time? Um, and my son loves transporting things. That's another schema. And he has for years. So, um, that could be like finding random things in the house, putting them into one of his tractor, um, trailers and bringing it from one area of the house to another. Yeah. Um, just collecting random things and putting them in containers. Um, all that kind of stuff. He still likes working on that to this day. So these schemas um, can develop and last a long time, or they can last for a short time. And they can sort of overlap. So they could be working on multiple play schemas um, at one time.
0: I'm getting that it's it's actually a healthy and inquisitive way of learning about the world and that there's like as a parent or as an adult you might be wanting to help them find a healthy expression of that how can they explore that schema versus saying no throwing no moving no whatever you know yes let's do it in a way that makes sense
1: yeah you hit the nail on the head for sure um and that's also how we can get our kids really engaged in play so um you know i did a post on increasing attention span when we can really tap into what they're working on and what they're interested in, um, you know, their attention span will will almost instantly increase because they're doing something that they're hardwired to practice. Um, you know, so all those sensory bins and, um, you know, little obstacle courses or anything that you can do in your house to sort of foster those schemas that they're working on, um, I mean, they'll play with them for, for a lot longer than another toy or another activity that they're not really interested in.
0: Mm. You know, what a gift as well to help a little person do the things they love. I mean, a lot of adults, uh, you know, little, little by little kind of get gain distance or are distant from the things that they love, their passions. But so to be able to help this little person connect and stay with the things that they are naturally inquisitive and naturally are bringing them ple- pleasure i think it's a big gift to, to bring them i agree yeah on the, one theme on this podcast is the you know coexistence and interrelatedness of all emotions uh, beyond sort of a, a lens of good or bad and you know children are masters of this there's sort of a wild emotionality that's there me laughing screaming crying you know it's everything so what are some of the the lessons about emotions that we might be able to learn from children
1: oh my gosh so many children are our greatest teachers um i particularly find as a millennial who grew up with parents in the generation of um our parents didn't know how to handle emotions, and that came across in their parenting styles. And so as adults now, um, we can find it really hard to just sit with emotions and not see them as good or bad, like you say, um, that it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be sad and disappointed. You know, all of these emotions that we find really hard or uncomfortable to sit with, you um, you know, it's imperative that we, that we sit with these emotions when our kids are experiencing them so that they get the message from us that, okay, my mom or dad or parent can handle the emotions that I'm having. They're not good or bad. They just are. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, really, that's really how we help them move through the emotions is mm-hmm. to sit with them um, and let them sort of ebb and flow and peak and do whatever they're going to do. And then as they get older, they learn that, okay, I don't need to avoid these emotions. They're not good or bad. They just are. And there are healthy ways to express them um, and socially acceptable ways to express them. And as parents, that's really our job is to teach them how to do that.
0: And I'm hearing that in some cases, a parent might not have had those skills pass on to them. But there's kind of this call of like, okay, I'm gonna try and teach my child to have this healthy relationship to their emotions, even if I wasn't taught that by my parents, the generation that raised me.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's really, it's really looking at those, um, I'll call them like, like parenting patterns or intergenerational patterns that are passed down that are so ingrained in us and that's one of the reasons why I do the work that I do, um, is because the parents that I get to work with, they know, they know that they perhaps aren't parenting the way that feels good to them or the way that they would like to parent. But they need um, some guidance on how to rewire these patterns, um, ways of responding that, like, they almost happen unconsciously. Um, and unless you really think about them and are making the conscious choice to respond differently, um, you know, they'll just continue.
0: So they might know they're not doing it how they want to be, but they might need some help crossing that bridge. Like, I'm not, I'm not showing sure up to one, yeah. to. I need some help getting there.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: It could be yelling. It could be, you know, spanking. It could be like all of those forms of punitive discipline or punishment that that my generation experienced as kids. And, you know, having the lived experience to to know that, oh, like that didn't feel very good. That felt very like um, my parent is against me and not working with me. Um, And that's one of the other messages that um, that I value is working together with our kids. It's not us versus them, you know? How can we help them succeed? Um, And is spanking or yelling at them going to teach them anything? Well, it is going to teach them something, but um, is it teaching them what we'd like to teach them? Um, And, you know, a lot of our, some of the parents that I work with and myself too, we yell at our kids. You know, um, it's not about, it's not about being the perfect, you know, vision of what we hope we would be as a parent. Um, that's totally unrealistic. Uh, but it's sort of about the, um, the process that you're in and just becoming more self-aware of how you're responding um, and thinking about, you know, different ways of responding that, that actually makes you feel good and like you're teaching and not shaming.
0: Mm. you're focusing on the the process instead of this perfect outcome and also focusing on how it's making you feel as well as a parent
1: yeah and how your kid's kid is feeling your kid like their reactions their you know facial expressions their gestures their body language they can tell us a lot about um you know what kind of message they're getting from us
0: Mm. It's a whole emotional dive there, a whole deep, an invitation to deep emotion. Mm -hmm. You know, when you talk about big feelings and big emotions that can, with children that can, or with anyone really, but with children that can go into sort of the darker, a a darker edge of the spectrum, we can see yelling and bullying and tantrums and hitting and, um, you know, power struggles. And I'm wondering, I guess the question is, you know, why do these traditional strategies not work? So yelling, threats, reward charts, things like that. And also, what are more generative strategies when there's behaviors that are coming forward that are violent or very difficult to, you know, be navigating?
1: Yeah, I think with, um, you know, the the threats and the bribing and the more punitive strategies, it again comes back to this idea of that us versus them mentality Um, and a real disconnect there, so at the root of it is parents who feel out of control um who are trying desperately to get their kids to cooperate or do what they what they need them to do and the kids just aren't doing them and so we we, we essentially grasp at straws when we don't have any other tools to pull from is okay well what can i take away um Or what can I use as a bribe to get my kid to to behave a certain way or to stop a behavior? Um, And it's a disconnect because we're focusing just on the surface level behavior and not what's going on deeper. So if a kid is, you know, having a tantrum um, after they get home from school, um, you know, a parent might might experience that and go, this feels really uncomfortable for me. How can I make this stop? Um, And, you know, as humans, we're smart, we're gonna try to figure out the fastest way to stop feeling that discomfort. Um, It's not often the best way, but it's the easiest and quickest way. And then, you know, that continues this pattern of disconnection where our kids aren't feeling like they're being heard. Or they don't really feel like we understand what they're going through. Um, It's just more about us trying to change the behavior. Um, And so instead, you know, strategies that work are connecting with our kids. It's getting down to their level. It's thinking about or it's seeing the world from their perspective um and remembering that young children particularly are living a lot of these experiences for the first time um and they don't necessarily they don't necessarily know um they haven't lived them enough to to know what to expect right expectations and being able to know what's to come um, is a privilege that us as adults have in many, in many cases. Um, whereas kids it's very unpredictable and that can, that can cause an array of emotions to come up. So if they've had a hard day at school or something isn't working the way they want it to, um, if they're frustrated using a toy that they can't figure out, you know, all of these things can build on each other and, um, you know, if they're not noticed by parents and then addressed early on, they can build up and then explode into a tantrum. So it really is about observing your child um, and, you know, thinking about who they are as as little people, their temperament, um, you know, what, what they like and what they don't like, what they maybe have difficulty in and what they're really good at. Um, So it's really knowing your child that will help you in the long run.
0: There's that piece of, of knowing the child and it feels like just an entire, it makes you think of design thinking or something where you're, you're just, you really are trying to tune in. What, how are these experiencing the situation? What are the little steps that are leading up to it, but also connecting to yourself, you know, how am I feeling and why am I needing to end this? You know, what's, you know, that's a. I'm wondering, let's imagine a situation where there's a toddler or a young child in like a living room and is freaking out, screaming. They've gotten to the point where maybe you haven't seen all those signs. And they're at a point where they're yelling, I hate you. I hate you. They're maybe throwing blocks. Maybe they're like potentially there's other children that they could be potentially hitting. There's sort of a a thing of physical safety. So they're gone. So what might you as a parent at that moment able to do if you're you know just to navigate that kind of situation
1: yeah so the first thing is about the safety of themselves and the safety of others and those things that are around them so it's one of the things i talk about with parents is when um children are becoming physical or you know they're they're hitting or throwing things um, first and foremost, it's about safety. So that involves a lot of parents think like any physical contact with their child is seen as not good. And we should only be using our words when in fact, some physical intervention, um, when we are calm and, um, gentle is really the way to go. So if they're throwing things, if they're hitting people, it's going up to them, getting down on their level and saying, I can see that you're really upset right now. It's not okay to hit and I'm not gonna let you hit. And it might be gently holding their hands down um, and then riding that wave, right? Like, yes, they're gonna be kicking and screaming because they're riding, what is the phrase? They are flying by the seat of their emotional pants really. Mm. Um, They don't know how to regulate. That's our job um, to help, uh, like through co regulation, right? It's it's staying calm in the moment. It's, you know, gently holding their hands or restraining them if they're putting themselves at risk or um, putting others at risk of hurting them. Um, And then it's really riding the wave out until they they calm a little bit. Uh, Because when they're in that state, there's no point in trying to have a conversation with them right they're not hearing what you have to say they just need to know that there's a calm presence there that's going to keep them safe even when they they know that they can't do it themselves
0: and what a gift as well to give them that co-regulation maybe you can't like they're learning you're teaching yeah (laughs) you know if you if you also freak out you know this is not helping the situation (laughs)
1: No, totally. And that's, that's where we get into those power struggles or where we, we see just parents yelling at their kids, um, kids yelling back. And we're really not, we're not, it's just an us versus them, right? It's a total disconnect um, between two people. Mm. So we want to really focus on connection. And I mean, certainly, yeah, when there's physical aggression happening, uh, children are learning what's socially acceptable. They're also learning how to express themselves. And those, just, those are just how they, how they act sometimes. Um, because they don't know how to, to articulate how they're feeling verbally. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they need questions uh, when they're in a calmer state about a very simple, right? Like direct questions about like, what What about this didn't make you feel good? Or mm-hmm. um, if you saw something happen, oh, I saw that happen. Did that make you feel bad? Like simple language like that. Um, and then you'll see that light bulb go off in their heads and they'll say, yes, that's what it was. That's connection. That's being in tune with, um, with your child's emotions. Mm-hmm.
0: And you're finding the simple language and simple question that reaches them
1: exactly. and helping
0: them be like, oh, yes, that's what I'm feeling. Yeah. There's this language around, you know, fixing your child or fixing a problem or like fixing this behavioral thing. So what's a healthier way of talking about, let's say there's a behavioral change that you want to be making with a child beyond the idea of a problem that needs to be fixed?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, when we talk about these behaviors that maybe aren't the best Um, if parents are dealing with a child who um, you know is having trouble using the toilet you know like potty training or sleeping Um, you know i i work with a lot of parents who struggle with getting their kids to sleep getting their kids to sleep right like that's the key how do i get my kid to sleep Um, well you can't really force your child to sleep. You can set up an environment that's conducive to sleep and you can, you know, in the words that you use, you can help them feel safe so that they can enter into sleep. Um, But you can't force your child to do something that they don't want to do or that they're not ready for. Um, So you know, really helping parents understand the difference in language um and also understanding that our kids are their kids and they're learning but they're people too um, and so how do we talk to our kid how do we talk to our kids respectfully um, but also as parents knowing how to set boundaries and how to teach them um, what's okay and what's not okay in a respectful way that keeps their dignity intact and doesn't shame them. Um that's really key. Yeah.
0: There's there's it's a teaching role and you're focusing on their empowerment and their agency. And I, I like your focus totally. on the words. It's like like okay. I'm gonna make you sleep. It's like it's like no, how we it's a person. It's a person that happens to be young. <laughs> yeah. And I think that those, those principles apply to adults as well. You know, we don't get people to do things. We create environments for them to find their own answers. And I think starting from the beginning, I could imagine that just having such a ripple effect the child's life where they feel like they're the ones that chooses they're in charge.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I can hear critics in my head, right? Because social media is full of people from all walks of life with different opinions about things and, You know, often some of the rebuttal I'll hear is, okay, but they're just a child. So if they don't want their diaper changed, do we not change their diaper? Or, you know, do we feed them candy all day if that's what they're asking for? Well, no, of course not, right? There are boundaries Um, and there is a structure and routine to our day. Um, But at the same time, when we talk about age appropriateness, And we talk about um, giving our kids more agency, um, giving them opportunities to feel or to develop autonomy and feel like they have a say in, in what's going on with their world. We can provide age appropriate choices. Right. So for a four year old, it might be, well, I want cookies for dinner. Okay, well. Cookies aren't an option for dinner, but you can have, you can choose this or that. It's not, what do you want for dinner? We're not going to ask a four-year-old that, but we're going to say, you know, spaghetti or pizza, which one would you like tonight? And just giving them choices so that they can feel a little bit more control over their environment. Everybody wants control over their environment. It doesn't matter how old you are, right?
0: Hmm. It's
1: the same for kids.
0: And, I like, and you're changing, you're really changing at every step of the way I'm seeing how you're changing the question, you're changing your stance, you're giving it to them, but you're not saying it into the way you'd say to an adult, you know, what would you like to eat for dinner, do you want, do you want to go, where would you like to go out? It's like, no, I know you, you speak about attachment science, you know, from an attachment lens, what are the child's needs? Um, when you, you talk about creating a you know, secure attachment, what does a child need in those first years to be creating a secure attachment um, style?
1: so attachment is really um people try to simplify it when really it's so nuanced and parents will say i want to raise a child who's securely attached like how can i do that um and i think it really starts with in infancy of course when a child is first born um it's helping create a safe secure environment um have one where the parent is in tune with the child, they can understand and respond appropriately to their needs and get them right, you know, the majority of the time. Um, that's how we build a really safe world for our kids um, and a level of predictability about what's gonna happen. So, you know, it comes down to like as a baby, like little Bennett here, Learning about him, taking the time to block out the noise from parents, from friends, from relatives, from social media, to really observe your child and see what works and what doesn't. So there's certain noises that Bennett makes that tells me that he's hungry. Um, There's other things that he does that tells me, okay, maybe he's tired or he needs a diaper change. Right. It's as simple as as those things. Or maybe he's got you know, a bellyache or something and, and need some help moving things along. Um, it's, you know, as simplistic as that when they're little, and it's responding appropriately. So every time you say, okay, I think he's hungry, and you feed him, and that's what he wants, you're meeting his needs, you're responding appropriately. Um, and, and in order to get it right, parents, parents need to observe and sit with their sit with their kids in in quiet and stillness um, so that they can really get to know them that's where it starts Mm. Um, so it's really yeah it's about it's about building a, a predictable environment for our kids that's really what it is and knowing that you know they have in attachment theory we call our parents like the secure base right it's somebody that it's usually a mom, but it can be another caregiver or a dad that's like the the child's secure base, knowing that okay, i'm I feel okay exploring my world a little bit more. Let me go a little bit farther and you'll see kids turn back and and see their parents and know that they're there for them if they need them. right that's how that's how we feel safe exploring the world, knowing that somebody's got our back unconditionally and they're gonna be there for us. Um, you know, no matter what that looks like.
0: Hmm. You know, I have friends and I have some friends in my 30s that those needs, their specific needs were not quite met or were not met sometimes at all. And, you know, 30 years, 40 years later, there's still pain that's there. And so it's it's one of those things where I see it's a huge opportunity. Can you really tune into their specific needs? And those needs become more and more nuanced. And I also see it as a zone where we can, you know as a child or growing up to an adult feel completely abandoned and not 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 even in terms of food and safety and shelter but in terms of our needs not being seen and adjusted to like you're saying yeah yeah
1: Yeah, I think um you know when you say that that comes to mind what comes to mind is um yeah kids feeling like they haven't been heard or like their needs aren't being met and so there is really a level of unpredictability there, and when it comes to their parents, um, you know, we talk a lot in the in the parenting world about self care and about boundaries, and about you know, as a mom specifically, about making sure that we can fill our own cup, and the the benefits to doing that are are that we can show up for our kids more consistently, right? Responding consistently. Um, whereas, you know, if if we are tired and we haven't been able to eat that day or get some time to ourselves, um, whatever that is that we need uh, to feel like ourselves and to feel like we too are worthy of time and attention and love, loving on ourselves. Um, if we don't get that, then yeah, we're not gonna show up with, with that calm presence or patience and level of responsiveness that um, we really need to help that attachment flourish. Um, instead- well, how can we maybe... provide
0: it if you're exhausted and you haven't exactly. eaten and you're overwhelmed? Exactly. Yeah. Well, so I have actually nine nieces and nephews oh, wow. and five, five siblings. And I would say that the three siblings I have that have children, they're in a state of both joy and admiration for the children.
1: Yeah.
0: And I would also say in, a, I would say, you know, a fairly, uh, fairly co- continual state of complete des- desperation. So when a parent is kind of at that point where they're running around, they're trying to work, they're trying to care for their kid, they're just in this sort of complete overwhelm, you know, what, um, what are some of the steps that you might be able to recommend to them? And also that question, you know, what happened to get to bring them there?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, it can be a combination of things for parents, depending on so many things, right? It's the first thing that comes to mind is what does that parent support system look like? Um, are they trying to do it all? Right? Um, do they have a good understanding of their own needs and what they need to feel good? Um, do they know how to set boundaries around things so are they saying yes to things when they really don't want to when they really want to say no but they're fearful of a tantrum or of just uncomfortable feelings coming up Um, all that does is when we can't set healthy boundaries leads to resentment and when we have resentment Resentment is, is kind of one of those ugly things, right? Um, it's not a nice emotion to experience and um, you know, that can lead lead to burnout, just feeling resentful. Um, so when I talk about the support system in place and, and you know what, I think too, it's hard for me to not think about, you know, because um, I do, I talk a lot about having a support system on, on my social page. Um, and in some ways, it's a privilege to be able to have the support that I have. Um, it's a privilege to be able to afford to hire the, these people. Um, and it's a privilege to have people in my life that are, are here to support me no matter what I need. There are tons of people who don't have that. Um, So it can be easy for me to sit here and say, you know, what does your support system look like? And, you know, you use them. It's okay to accept help. Um, Maybe that's a, you know, a product of me getting older, but I am happy to ask for help. And and when you get, get to that point, it's so freeing to be able to say, I can't do it all. I just can't. So how hmm. can I, you know, how can I ask for help? Okay, Bennett. Okay, Bennett.
0: Hmm. There's a, the things that you're pointing <laughs> to they're they sound like things that are extremely important, whether or whether or not you have kids, you know, not trying to do everything, um, but having those boundaries, having supports in place. But I'm getting the impression that perhaps when you have children, it's kind of amplified if those skills and supports are not in place. Because suddenly,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> you're trying to do everything, and you have a child that needs attention and care. Uh, and I, it's interesting because I've seen, I've seen parents that are calm, and their child, they take, they listen to their child's needs, and they adapt, and there's, I would say, they're generally, you know, it's going well. And I've seen others that are completely overwhelmed, running, and have this kind of narrative of. Um, oh my gosh, parenthood is the most horrible, awful, like difficult thing, but it's a necessary hard step. And I, have, I suddenly have this sense that there's almost like this narrative that like parenting should be hard and difficult and you should be sleepless and should be overwhelming. You know, you go through the challenge. Or this is part of kind of rite of passage. Mm-hmm. How do you respond to that kind of narrative or idea?
1: <laughs> um, I, I think that even if you have support, Parenthood is still hard. Mm -hmm. Um, How can it not be, right? You're raising other human beings who depend entirely on you um, to fulfill their needs. Um, So I think that sometimes it can be used as perhaps an excuse, maybe, Um, you know, that this, this is just the way it has to be and I can't do anything to change it. Uh, maybe some helplessness, helplessness there, um, but I mean, I, I don't know, in my community in Winnipeg, um, there are so many wonderful resources out there, um, and, you know, relationships to be made, people who want to help, um, and people who can really make a difference, and I think, too, sometimes it's our pride that gets in the way. Is that really what you're going to do? You're going to (laughs) poop.
0: Nice tuning into what's happening right now.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, there's, if you can swallow your pride and say, okay, I can't do it all. I don't know the answers to everything. You don't have to know the answers to everything, you know, and and sometimes when it comes to things that are more specialized, like feeding or sleeping or behavior, you're not going to have all the answers but there is somebody out there that can help you. So it's, it's finding somebody that you really click with.
0: And there's those resources and that help is there. It's such a, you know, abundant way of looking at it. It it exists. And I, and I like you saying it's, it's hard. It is hard, but there's, it's not, it's not hopeless. There's, there's resources, there's people, you know, it's, it's doable.
1: Yeah, it is. But also it's okay for things to be hard, right? Like it, it is going to be difficult like right now for instance we're doing this we're having this conversation together and then it is not quite as settled as i would hope you would be but it is what it is right and it's having it's having grace for yourself Mm. and for other people that like this is motherhood like what you're seeing this is motherhood um
0: there you go yeah yeah. and I, i and i yeah, the imitation is, it's what's actually happening, and that's okay. Yeah. It's, you know, beyond what we'd like to be happening. Um, you're not going to have of- your
1: shit together. You're not going to have your house clean all the time. You're not going to be able to shower every day sometimes, you know, until your kids get older. Um, it's normal for kids to wake up in the middle of the night for many years, for a lot longer than we're made to believe. Um, so parenthood is messy. and you know, if you can embrace that, and again, have grace for yourself and ask for help when you need it, um, you're going to be in a better, better state of mind.
0: Hmm. When well, you were mentioning before the idea of perfectionism, yeah. You know, how because there's, I think a lot of parents have this idea of, okay, I'm going to raise these beautiful, perfect children that are going to, you know, study really well and be good at sports and have lots of friends. And I'm going to do my best as a parent. They're not going to need therapy and blah, 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 blah. You know, this idea of just creating the perfect, perfect little cocoon for them. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, well, first of all, what are some of the impacts when we're trying to be perfect as a parent? And second of all, how can we sort of cure ourselves of that, even the idea?
1: Yeah, I think it comes back to just recognizing that our kids are people too, um, and that we cannot control them. We can't. So if your idea is that you're going to raise a perfect child who's a perfect sleeper, perfect eater. um, Parenthood is one of the most humbling experiences. You will be proven wrong time and time again. Mm. And so when you when you come to realize that um, it makes it makes it a little bit easier because it takes the pressure off. but yeah, you're right, there, there is this need to, to be perfect and to have it all figured out. Um, and, you know, again, I just can't help but say like, our kids are people, they have their own desires, they have their own personalities, they have their own needs and dislikes. And, you know, you can't, you just can't, there's certain things you just can't force. You have to just embrace and support your child through and not be so worried about what other people think. I think that drives perfectionism a lot is, um, you know, especially on social media, seeing these these perfect images and these stories about all the things that are going so well. And I try to share, like as a behavior specialist who has a four-year-old, not every day most days are not perfect. No days are perfect. You know, I yell at my kid too, sometimes, you know. Um, but it's about having the humility to apologize when you're wrong. Um, and repair when you do something that doesn't make you feel very good or that you wish you could take back or do a different way. Um Yeah, I think apologizing to our kids when we've we've done something wrong is something that a lot of people aren't comfortable doing, Um, but it's so, so important.
0: How do you find your own style and philosophy, knowing that there's so many different ways of parenting as well, even culturally?
1: I think it comes to, it comes back to how we were raised as kids. And because we're the perfect, we're the perfect um, subject right like we know how we were raised we know um, how our parents responded to us when we were having a hard time um what our parents valued in us Mm -hmm. so is that grades is that um you know sports like what is that um and then you know identifying how we felt did that feel good to us like what felt good to us as kids basically. It's as simple as that. Um, And then saying, okay, I'm going to take some of these, um, some of these values or approaches that my parents took because I like the way I turned out. I like the way that it made me feel. And so I'm going to continue this pattern with my own kids. Whereas, you know." Um, when we talk about discipline and we talk about, you know, this idea of spanking maybe, um, which is the generation that I grew up in. Um, and you think, okay, well, I, I had a, I ate a granola bar when I shouldn't have, and I got spanked for that. How did that make me feel? Did that make sense? Was that like a suitable consequence to me eating because I was hungry? Um, No, that didn't make me feel very good. Um, And so how am I going to approach my kid when they're hungry and suppers in five minutes? Like, how is that going to look different? Um, How can I connect with my child and use words and be able to tolerate their emotions that inevitably come up when I say no to something, and they don't like hearing no. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. I think that there's there's so much there. I but I like the idea of connecting to your own experience because it's a rich source of analysis and understanding what your style is. And I think there's sort of a cyclical nature where a child inevitably offers you know the the when they grow up they offer what they have. And I, I'm wondering, you know, I think I do believe that parents give what they can with the abilities that they have, had at the time. Yeah. And I know also that there comes a time, either as a young child or later in life when many children begin to criticize their parents. You know, and as a child, that can look like, you know, a little bit a little bit more, um, the language is perhaps simpler, but can go all the way up in an adult life to someone saying, You didn't meet my needs, you weren't there for me as I needed you. You know, imagining that you've you've developed this whole posture of, okay humility, I'm not perfect, I'm doing my best. And then your child, the person that you give all of your, you really tried. And then they come up to you again, they could be four or 40. And they say, essentially, you failed and hurt me. And it was awful for x, y, z reason, you know, how, how do you receive that? How, how, what's a way of receiving those comments with grace?
1: Yeah, it is about receiving, isn't it? Um, Because perception is reality. And so if my child perceived a situation to be a certain way and I perceived the situation to be a certain way, and it's different, they don't match. Um, that's my reality, and that's their reality. and so we need to i like I like how you say how do we receive that um, and with our kids it's a it's so much about not taking things personally, but it's also about. Um, taking some responsibility for how we've made our kids feel. And it's about humility um, as well. And knowing that regardless of how hard you've tried, your kid is not going to like something that you've done. And there are going to be some points in their lives where, you know, perhaps you didn't respond the way that they needed. You can't respond correctly a hundred percent of the time it's just not possible um we're we're all going to screw up our kids in some way Mm -hmm. so it's it's about knowing that it's about no matter how hard you try your kid is their own person who sees things in their own way and i mean it's all it's not all going to be perfect no matter Mm -hmm. how hard you try
0: and what you're saying it's you're receiving it. You're, you have the humility. You have the accountability. There's something that's, I'm drawing a link to what you said earlier on. You're letting them be in their experience. You're not negating it. Like exactly. this thing, very beautiful. And so they could say, you destroyed this thing, or you didn't help me. And you could say, you know, I hear that. I really hear the impact. I hear that that's what happened for you. And I think there's a, what a, a an opportunity in that moment to model accountability, to model humility, to model compassion, to model maybe in that moment, show you know, noticing and caring in a way the child would have wanted you to do in the past, but you weren't able to.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. You have, you work as a parent coach. Mm -hmm. So you work with parents and you're helping them develop uh, the skills, the skills to be able to navigate this big, beautiful, messy world. Um, So I'm curious to know, what are, what are some of your favorite things about doing this work and also what are some of the things that you've learned yourself while doing it?
1: So I love this question because I could I could talk about parenting and child development for ages. So when I get when I get parents who contact me and they've they've looked at my website, you know, or they've maybe followed me on Instagram for a little bit and they know who I am and sort of what I value. And it just clicks for them that they're like, Haley is the person that's gonna help me. Those are the parents that I just love to help because we're on the same wavelength and they understand how their parenting really affects their kids. Um, and that's important, right? Like we need if we need help first of all it is super difficult to acknowledge that um you're not parenting the way that you wish you could and you don't know what to do it is very hard to acknowledge that and then to reach out and ask for help and then be able to receive that help in a way that is constructive and in a way that you're actually going to be able to learn you have to be vulnerable in those moments, it's those parents that I just love to help because they're just an open book, right? And we can have these really deep conversations. Um, I think a lot of times it's when I'm when I'm having these sessions with parents, they get the opportunity to talk out a lot of things that they're trying to make sense of themselves. And so I can hold space for that, for those conversations. Um, And sometimes those calls are, you know, I meet with some, some parents weekly um, or every couple weeks or every month and every week, you can tell they're just itching to talk.
0: They're just, you know, know, it's (laughs) it's like
1: having, having somebody who, Is there who can hear you, who's non judgmental, um, who isn't going to? I think, you know, information is great, but too much information is not so great. And so, having somebody like me who's a listening ear, who understands child development and child behavior, um, can really sit there and listen and say, okay, this is what I'm hearing. This is normal behavior. Um, Or it's okay if you feel this way. It's okay that you made a mistake. Um, And then to be able to say, this is, you know, a theme that I've been hearing during our call today. Um, One thing that you can take away or two things you can take away and try are these things. And then it's having that spaciousness to go out and try those things. um, And then come back to me and say, Oh, this really made a difference for me, um, you know, but now we're experiencing this. And so, you know, okay, so tell me about that. Um, it really just provides that space for parents to, to talk about what they're going through, I think and that's you're doing special. Beautiful,
0: that's super special. And I think you're doing beautiful work in the world because I can tell from what you're saying and how much you've thought and studied children and relationships and behavior you know, there's one piece of information, one thought, one reflection that could shift an entire relationship over an entire lifetime.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Well, that brings us to the end. Is there anything else you'd like to, to add before we close for today?
1: I think I love, I loved this conversation. I think that um, more of these conversations need to be had. Um, so I really appreciate you offering the invitation and and providing this time because I think it's really important work that we're both doing.
0: Thank so you thank so much, you. Haley, and thank you for having Bennett on the call. <laughs> I think for me it really it really shows that we can have a different kind of interaction and we can really invite conversations about parenthood and children and being with children in a different way. Yes. It doesn't need to be outside of the, the meeting room, the podcast, whatever is happening. Yes, so totally I will great. be recommending people to you with their parenting questions. Thanks so much for taking time to speak with me today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much.